0: And so the ministry of the brave way home is the hard work of calling and equipping fellow wayfarers putting putting as many discipleship truths and tools in your backpack as possible so that you can walk through this life towards the next faithfully as a citizen of heaven and there's so much i could tell you about and want to tell you about the the work that god is giving us in schools and churches and marriages and families And so if you stick around for the luncheon, you're going to get to hear all about that. But we wanted to tell you this because this is the heartbeat of the Brave Way Home. And this is the heartbeat in which we join you this morning. We are eager and expectant for what God can and will do in our time together today. And Randy, so boldly, courageously, gave me some freedom to share uh, some some of wherever our hearts felt like we should go. And to just share some of our story and lean into how we hope that it can encourage you as a church family. Because our story is anchored in the hope that we trust will not disappoint. It hangs on the power of King Jesus' sacrifice, his resurrection, and the promise of his one day return. And as we live out our days in the in between, between the finished work of Christ on the cross and his triumphant return, here life is hard. And it's complicated. Like we know it, right? Like we know it, like we, we see it. It's, it's not just in our nation. It's clearly in our world. It's in our communities. It's in our schools. It's in our churches, in our homes. We get daily reminders of just how broken our world is and how messy it is and how turned around it is. You turn on the news and you cannot deny that life here is full of tragedy. Daily reminders that the world is not as it should be that we are not as we should be. And many of us, if not all of us, are intimately familiar with a road of heartache of some kind. You have your own story. And you may be walking in that right now. But we see the tension and we feel the tension because we live in the tension of the now and the not yet. And so we naturally, as believers, we join the chorus of creation in the groaning for salvation. And we may find ourselves feeling tempted to give up or lose hope to turn around or try something else. I think the story of a wayfarer is familiar with hard roads. The story of a wayfarer is one of persevering hope, hope in grief, hope in hard times, hope in the everyday, and hope for the everyday. But this is the kind of hope that you keep because this is the hope that's born out of character born out of Perseverance produced from suffering and this hope does not disappoint God's word says it because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us And so what do we do with that kind of hope? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God no matter the suffering or the circumstances We are the ones to hold on to hope and persevere with purpose because we're not home yet. And so when I use the word hope, I think our culture has a tendency to maybe kind of make it a little bit wishy-washy. So I want to give us a good definition of hope. Hear me, this is like a certain expectation. Hope is a confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in His faithfulness. This is way more than that wishful thinking kind of stuff. This is a cherished desire and anticipation. It's like being on your tippy toes because there's such a deep resolve in your heart to wait for what is coming with confidence. Perseverance is this persistence to keep doing something despite difficulty or delay. And so to persevere is to just keep going. To not give up, to continue a course of action through difficulty, through distraction, to keep moving forward through hardship or heartache, through confusion or uncertainty, through anything and everything, so that you would see it through to the end. Like to persevere is to stay the course. To persevere, I would say, is to walk the brave way home. Because I think it's a brave choice to choose Jesus. And I think it's brave to keep choosing Jesus in the face of hard things. And oh, as we look at the landscape of our world and as we navigate the brokenness of this world, as we are bombarded with one heartbreaking story after another, as we navigate grief of some kind, even if it is just grieving your normal Groaning for something new. I think it's hard to keep leaning into the hard so much change and so much loss and Conflict all around us. I think it's hard to keep a healthy head and heart about it all And I believe every believer's heart needs reminded to stay the course You stay the course we need encouraged with persevering hope because the world needs hope and it is not going to get it Anywhere else. And so if you're taking notes this morning, that's the phrase, stay the course with persevering hope. I want that to be our lens together and our time together. And I believe this, that what we write, we remember, okay? And so if something we unpack today hits your heart today, write it down today, okay? Because I think that is how God will work. Now here's the deal, perseverance, staying the course, is a theme all throughout Scripture. There is story after story of people persevering through all kinds of trials and troubles and temptations, suffering of some kind, because they trust who is leading them through. But hope? Hope is like a theme that is coursing through the veins of Scripture. It's something that we draw up because it's built up on the promises of God, and there are countless passages that speak to the persevering hope that we are to have. But today, we're just going to be anchoring ourselves in Hebrews 10. I know you guys have been hanging out in Hebrews, all right? I know that, and I love that. But we're going to hang out in Hebrews 10, just a handful of verses, 22 through 25, that I think can give us a clear way forward, practical steps that help keep us on course, that allow that habit of hopefulness to be pronounced in our lives, So here's kind of what's unfolding. In chapter 10, all of chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews is hammering home the significance of Christ's sacrifice, that this is a big, big deal, and there are implications of that sacrifice. In chapter 10, verse 10, it says that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And I just love those words, once for all. Like, think about that. Let them wash over your heart for a second, once for all, because Jesus paid the price for our sin, once for all. Hear me. His sacrifice is completely, totally, absolutely atoning. Jesus is enough. He's enough. All you need is found only in Jesus. All you need found only in him. You're never going to stop needing Jesus and you're never going to start needing him less. I mean, think about that for a second. So much of our life, we're trying to tell ourselves that like we're just bothering him or burdening him with the things that we need him for. And we tell ourselves that spiritual maturity is some arrival point of growing out of our need for Jesus or just weaning ourselves off because we just don't want to bother him. We just don't want to need him as much as we did in a previous season. No, that is not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is a daily awareness that apart from Him, you can do nothing. Because that's what His Word says. He is the vine, we are the branches. But here's what happens in verse 19. There's a turn in the corner of what's being unpacked. It's it's in light of what Jesus did, like taking this significant sacrifice and the implications of it. Now, because of it, in light of the finished work of Christ on the cross, because of his resurrection, we can now boldly, with confidence, enter into the most holy place, the very presence of God. And it's not because of our holiness. It's because of his Like Jesus has made a way, and that should both humble our hearts and make them race with expectancy. And so as we dive in, okay, I got to tell you this. I want to encourage you. When we step into the story of Scripture, we do so with humility and expectancy. We're trusting that this is alive and it is active. And when we spend time in God's Word, He has something for us. There's something he wants to do in us and with us in our time together in it. And so meet me in chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Or your phones, you can scroll there. Or your eyeballs, you can look up there. But I'm going to read these verses over us now. I'm going to pick it up in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I love that because the writer is exhorting the readers, okay? That means that the, he, the writer is encouraging, boldly, emphatically urging them, as the church then and now, the church today, to, to do something a certain way. And I think it is important that when you hear me say that, this is exhort, not extort, okay? They sound close, right? Two different meanings. We're not taking it away, we're building up and, and pushing in too. But these give us a pathway. I think these verses give us three, at least three ways to stay the course with persevering hope, three key responses to what Jesus has done once for all. And the first one is draw near to God. In light of what Jesus has done. Let us draw near to God. I don't think perseverance can happen without drawing near to God because He is source and He is sustainer and we need Him. Do you know how desperately so? If we're going to stay the course with persevering hope, we're going to draw near to God. I mean, this invitation that we've been given, I think it hinges on the boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies, this, the very presence of God, and that boldness rests on the finished work of Jesus. And there's the writers using all this Old Testament covenantal language here, and it's being used to paint the picture of the new covenant in Christ. This new way to be in the presence of God. That through Christ, that lets us come to God the Father through Christ the Son. Like we have an open invitation. See, the old covenant, the high priest who was representing all of God's people, right? All at one time, could only enter into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, one time a year on behalf of everybody. And they still tied a rope around his waist because if something went down, ain't nobody going in to get him, okay? Like, think about that for a second. But through Christ, we are invited to dwell in the presence of God all day, every day. Do you know that? Do you enjoy that? Do you find yourself taking that for granted? And do you know that has everything to do with persevering hope? If we are going to stay the course, we're going to draw near to God. It's the same invitation that's woven all throughout Scripture. It's the same invitation of James 4. Draw close to God, and what's he going to do? He's going to draw close to you. It's the same invitation that you see in Psalm 73, where Asaph is teaching of how good it is to be near God. And even in Jeremiah 30, this language is pointing to the full restoration of Israel to God's blessing. And it all depends on his people drawing near to him this is an eschatological invitation that means everything depends on this kind of invitation to draw near so maybe the question for you this morning is is your life marked by drawing near is is there fruit evident in your life that you are one that draws near i hope so is your hope sustained by drawing near And maybe you're like, no, it's not. I don't even know how to. I know that I'm supposed to, but what am I supposed to do about that? I think these verses even give us the conditions to come with. The first one, I mean, it's like we're to come with a sincere and genuine heart, an undivided heart, an honest heart. Like you can't have some side mission, ulterior motive in the way you draw near to God. But we draw near with a full assurance of faith, a faith that knows no hesitation in trusting and following Christ. Like, this is utter confidence in the promises of God. This is not last resort. This is first instinct kind of faith. But we also draw near with a clear and clean conscience, not a guilty conscience, but a repentant heart. There's evidence of interchange going on with the freedom based on the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. We don't Stand on what we've done. We stand on what Christ has done. We don't persevere in our own strength. We persevere in His strength. And so, this encouragement to draw near, it wouldn't be given if it wasn't necessary. It's not a suggestion, it's not optional. This is pertinent. This is necessary. This is vital. This is crucial. This is essential. We've got to grab a hold of that. Because what believers then and what believers now struggle with is that when things are hard, when things hurt, it's hard to keep leaning into the hard and trust that he's still leaning into it with you. It's hard to trust that he will meet you there in the pain that you know. But he promises to, and I'm certain that he does. Like when we feel like our relationship with God is not on track, it's because we didn't draw near on the basis of what Jesus has done. It's because we tried to draw near on the basis of what we've done. So we don't earn this. (laughs) We're invited into this. We receive this. This is an invitation to enter in. And these believers, they were discouraged because things were hard. And they had lost their intimacy in relationship with Jesus. So I want you to hear me. If your heart is tired and weary and discouraged and hurting, come to a good God with a heart that is honest and ready to enter into where he wants you. And that's with him. He promises to meet you there. And when we have this kind of confidence in the promises of God, we can persevere anything the roads that I have walked, the depths of pain that I'm familiar with beyond my vocabulary. I've learned this, that when I wake in the morning, I must get to the presence of God quickly. Before my feet at the floor, I know two truths. One, Jesus has not come back yet. But two, that must mean there is mission at hand. This heart needs that invitation to draw near, so I cling to it. Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This broken heart, like this crushed spirit, I need my days filled with vivid expressions of his nearness because I know I need his nearness. In the last four years, my family has experienced more pain than we knew existed. My wife, Crystal, and I, we've been married for 22 years, and we have three remarkable kiddos. Our oldest is Ezra. He's so kind and loving. He's creative. He's quick-witted. He's a drummer. He has such a strong sense of justice. He's a little sarcastic. Um, He learned that from his mom. Uh, No, that's not true. Um, our, Our baby girl, Lila, the little cheese ball right there, she's so much sparkle and spunk and just... Bubbling imagination. She's our little comedian And right in the middle our daughter Kala effervescent, radiant kind and loving joyful just radiant life with the biggest Entrepreneurial spirit and heart to look out for the left out and I'm a dad So I could talk about my kiddos all day long. I won't But in May of 2019, our sweet center kid, Ocala, she got sick. Really sick. And very quickly, very abruptly, we learned that she was battling a very rare and very aggressive, still yet to be named, brain cancer. And our world turned upside down. Everything changed. Like these moments, they remind you how little control you actually have, like how helpless you actually are, like you have no power in your own strength to fix this or take this pain away. And so we did what we knew to do. We watched and we prayed and we watched and we prayed as that brave girl suffered to depths of pain that I don't know how to process all the while holding fast to a fierce faith when everything around her was uncertain. And over and over again, we saw her point countless people to a good God with her fierce love for Jesus and her persevering hope in her King, all while raising hallelujahs from her hospital bed. And from doctors in her room to multiple times a day to people in distant lands, Calla became a hero of our faith. And thousands and thousands of people from all over the world joined us in praying for her healing, including so very many of you in this room right now. There was no shortage of faith in those prayers. And there was no shortage of faith in that hospital room. And still, only eight weeks later, in July of that summer, at the age of nine, our sweet center, Kala, was rescued to heaven and home by her king, Jesus, right in our arms. And suddenly, everything means something different. Heartache means something different. Hard means something different now. That threshold has moved, but hope means something different. We're a mixture of of deep sorrow and, and deep joy because of a deep love. Our hope and our heartache, they still hold hands, and goodness, we miss her fiercely, and we wait eagerly to be with her again in heaven as we navigate this space between her rescue and our reunion, this temporary but painful separation. Never before have we longed for heaven like we do now. Never before has there been such a deep resolve in our hearts to point others to the promises that have pulled us forward and we are convinced that the brave way home is walked with this kind of persevering hope because suffering reminds us this is not home Amen. helpless does not mean hopeless the worst things they are not the last things there is great joy ahead and god so graciously gives us vivid expressions of his nearness because he knows how much we need them he meets us in our disappointment in our pain in our brokenness so maybe the question for you this morning is is your heart needing his nearness is your life distant and detached from the one you need the most Have you found yourself tempted to push him away in the pain that you know? Because I promise you, I promise you the peace that your heart desires, it will not be found in the absence of pain. It will be found in his presence in the midst of it. So draw near. Is your heart needing his nearness? If we're going to stay the course, With persevering hope, we're going to draw near to God, but we're also going to hold fast to truth. In light of what Jesus did, let us hold fast to truth. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This is holding unswervingly to to what we know to be true. Holding fast to where we have anchored our hope. It's the same as the Hebrews 6, the hope we profess, this is the anchor for our souls, firm and secure, like without doubt and hesitation or wavering. The word unswervingly, the geek in me, like wants to know this, it literally means an upright object that is not inclining at all from true perpendicular, okay? Okay. That's the power of that word unswervingly. Think about that for a second. It means this, we can only stand upright because of the firm foundation underneath us. This is that gritty holding tightly to the truth that has a firm grip on you. See, the original readers, they were wrestling with the temptation to turn back, to give up, because it was hard. And I think that we can relate. I know that I can But I know that when we are discouraged, we are tempted to waver. When hard things come our way, if we are not anchored to what we know to be true, the hope that we have, the affirmation of our salvation, we will waver. If we're going to persevere, we're going to hold fast to truth. For he who promised is faithful. He cannot and he will not deny himself. And so the hope that we profess rests on the faithfulness of God to keep the promises of God. The only way that we can stand strong is because he who promised is faithful. And those promises last. They are durable. They are reliable. They last. And an unswerving, unwavering confidence can persevere anything. So maybe the question for you this morning is, how's your grip? How's your grip? What are you holding fast Two, got to draw near and we got to hold fast if we're going to persevere with hope. But number three, we're going to consider one another. In light of what Jesus did, let us consider one another. Let us pursue the community of God's people. This is verse 24 and 25. The let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, right? Like Let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, like when we consider one another, when we spur one another on, when we keep gathering with one another, inevitably we are going to encourage one another. And I think this serves as such a reminder of how vital encouragement is to each of us and all of us as the body of Christ, how vital it is to all of us. We need each other, like we need encouragement from each other. We need connectedness with one another because discouragement comes when we avoid the community we need the most when we need it the most. These original readers were wrestling with hard things and the temptation to turn back. That means desertion, abandonment. They were ready to peace out on the whole Jesus thing. You ever found yourself there? Maybe here's the question in Do you know people who've made a hard thing a whole lot harder because they distanced themselves and pulled away from the community of believers? They need you, and you need them. Go get them. We can't be the church that waits for everybody to come back. We go get them, because that's what this calls us to. We go. They need you. We need them. We need each other. And I love how this language paints the picture of mutual activity. It's a mutual encouragement. This is so much more than a good job, pat on the back, kind of go get them, tiger. You got this. This language of spurring each other on, it literally means to incite riots in somebody else. Like it literally means to provoke someone and incite them, to cause a riot, an outburst of love in someone else. And it reminds us that loving one another is not just going to happen. It takes a conscious choice. I think that's why the emphasis here is on what you give to it, not what you get out of it. When we faithfully engage in the body of believers alongside one another and we encourage one another, we will inevitably provoke one another to outbursts of love. And I can't talk about riots and, and, and spurring someone on and talking about the idea of outbursts of love without talking about my Cala. <laughs> I got one more story to tell you about her. In the fall of her third grade year in 2018, because her heart to look out for the left out. This sweet little thing wanted to go to Romania so badly with her daddy because she wanted to go serve and love kids her age, living at risk of trafficking and child marriage. They had captured her heart, and she was determined to get there. And so what did she do? She started her very own online slime shop, (laughs) selling her little tubs of goopy goodness to fund her goal of an $1,100 plane ticket so that she could make the trip. And I remember the first morning after she launched her store, that sweet thing woke up to like over 50 orders. She was totally ready to drop out of school, okay? (laughs) She woke up and she's like, I cannot go to school today. Like I have so much slime to make. And we became her first employees. (laughs) And Calla raised all the funds she needed. She never got to go to Romania. She went home instead. But the impact of that sweet little lookout for the left out heart is making such a mark. Not just in that little village on the other side of the world, but everywhere. Since Kala's rescue, all we've done as her mom and her dad is we just didn't close her store. We just kept her store open. And we take her slime journal written in her own little nine-year-old handwriting and we make her recipes only make her recipes. And we have since made 2,701 pounds of slime. You know how much that is? It's the size of an adult male walrus, tusks and all. (laughs) I had to Google that, okay? But here's the deal, it's in 46 states. It's in eight different countries. Over $144,000 has been raised through slime. For what will be called Casa Cala, a place of refuge in Tinka, Romania, for those very kids she was determined to go serve. And I want you to just hear this. Her simple sacrifice of her time and her resources, they have started, been the starting point for so much beauty and inspiration and praise for the king she serves. Every day is an opportunity to incite some riots with your words of encouragement to someone else. And oh, how much our broken world needs believers living lives filled with outbursts of love, inciting riots of goodness and joining in with what God is doing through others, allowing fellow wayfarers to spur us on in our own journeys. And oh, how necessary it is for a broken world to witness a persevering church with persevering hope. And so if we're going to persevere, we're going to stay the course, and hope is going to be our habit, then we're going to consider one another. But here's where all this comes together, because what you see in this is the faith and the hope and the love all woven together. But why? Like, why? Are we just, why stay the course? Why persevere? Are we, why all this urgent urging? Right? Why all this emphatic like, call, this bold encouragement? Is the objective to just keep surviving? Are we just supposed to keep hanging on? hang in there, buddy, to keep facing hard things. No, here's the deal. Every bit of what we've unpacked this morning is tied to and anchored to the very last phrase of that verse, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I love how the New Living Translation renders it. It says, especially now that the day of His coming back again is drawing near. Hope held out is no hope at all if it is not anchored in Christ's coming back. That is hope. We are to live in the imminence of that day. We are to live in the inevitability of that day. We are to live as if the dawning of that day is so very near that it is just beyond the horizon. And that should make your soul sing. That should make your heart race that we can live in hope now because we have a living hope. And so as the day of Jesus' return draws nearer, the watching world is waiting for our witness in the way that we gather, in the way that we persevere, in the way that we encourage, in the way that we love. And so hear me, when we anchor our present in eternity, the promises of God pull us forward. We can persevere no matter what difficulty we may have to travel through in this world. As we journey through this life towards the next, we must remember that we are wayfarers. It's but a matter of verses later where the writer says these words in verse 35 and follows. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now. So you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised for in just a little while. The coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. The coming one will come. The coming one is coming back. We have better things waiting for us in eternity. And every single promise he has made, he will keep. So church family, don't you dare settle for the temporary when God gives the eternal. That's what our world needs from us. You keep persevering, you keep wayfaring. In every confrontation of our disappointment with this life, heaven is the last word. God is not done yet. He is faithfully moving the great narrative of history to the point of ultimate redemption, Jesus' return. We cannot forget that our King is coming back. And when he does, just as it says later in Hebrews 11, he will fulfill every precious promise that we welcome from a distance. Promises that pull us forward through every circumstance. Promises that we cling to no matter what a broken world throws at us. Promises that give us confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. The rest, the reward, the restoration, the reunion, the resurrection. He's making all things new. And so when we anchor our hope in Christ's return, we stay the course When we anchor our hope in Christ coming back, we will persevere. And I think when we hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, we will walk the brave way home with our eyes fixed on Jesus and our hearts set on where he sits now. That's the plan. And what will happen is that people far from God, they they will experience the hope that we have. And the people far from God will then experience the healing they need because he who promised is faithful. So draw near to God, hold fast to truth, and consider one another. When you anchor your present in eternity, you will stay the course with persevering hope, and a watching world will see just how much they need Jesus too. Stay the course, church. Stay the course. Let me pray over you. Father God, I am so very thankful for this church family. And I'm so very grateful for their grace and the privilege of being before them right now. And I thank you for the work that you've been doing, you are doing, and will continue to be doing through the body of believers here. Father, remind our hearts, remind our hearts of what is to come so that we would live in such a way that people far from you know that you are good, and that your son is coming back. May what we be is a persevering church with persevering hope. Lord, we love you, and we trust you, and we thank you, and we need you. May we live in that truth today. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. amen.